live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bosevich. And now, here's Jay. And good afternoon from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And I'm sitting here in the beautiful Northwest, and it's one of those, you know, bluebird days. There's not a cloud in the sky, and it's just gorgeous here. Uh, hope it's nice where you are if you're listening from out of state. Uh, be jealous. We've got beautiful weather here. And uh, welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show. And this is a what I like to call a free-for-all show. I do not have a guest today, and you get to control what we talk about. If you call in, we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. Uh, just have to give us a call at 646-721-9887, and just press 1 uh, if you want to join in on conversation. That lets Robin, my producer, know you want to ask me a question or make a comment or just Tell us about your life. Who knows? Uh, if you want, you can also send us an email at talk at krbnradio.net, and you can do that between shows, too. Uh, you know, one of the ways you can get a hold of me as uh, if you're one of my constituents here in Lane County to ask me a question about anything going on with the county or just anything that you're not sure if it's a county issue or or state or a local uh, municipal issue, I'll help you sort it out. Uh, I like to uh, be in contact with my constituents. I'm pretty easy to reach. Uh, you can get me on Facebook through Messenger. You can call my office and leave me a voicemail. You can email me. Or you can call this show, please, and uh, talk to me here uh, and ask me some questions. You know, You can ask me the tough questions here live on the air where these shows get archived and you can listen to them anytime after the show's been archived uh, in the next day or so, or any of my past shows are available right now through iTunes uh, just by uh, searching iTunes KRBN uh, in Google and you should be able to find my past shows. Uh, Last week we had a guest and it was Link Smith with the Oregon Department of Forestry, who's the head of the Western Lane District here, uh, and was the uh, incident commander for the first portion of the High Pass fire here in Lane County. And fire has been a pretty big topic here in Lane County as we had another uh, forest fire breakout, pretty small though, this one stayed at about six or seven acres on Mountain Gate, uh, what used to be known as Potato Hill, in Springfield, and that was quite the stir this past Labor Day weekend because the smoke plume was pretty visible uh, through most of downtown Eugene and Springfield uh, and got people pretty shook up, uh, particularly those folks living up there in the Thurston Hills amongst the woods because the, the houses and the trees are not that far apart up there and that fire was right close to that whole neighborhood. So uh, fire has been on everybody's mind and uh yeah we can talk a little bit about odf and and that whole fire response and we even got to talk a little bit last week about the forest land classification process that that tries to determine properties that need to pay an assessment for that protection that odf 
provides, and it's pretty interesting that fire out there in um, Mountain Gate there in Springfield, although it was you know right next to Springfield city limits more or less, uh, Oregon Department of Forestry was on scene with a helicopter dumping water on that thing within uh, you know a half hour of when it actually broke out and was reported. Uh, and were the, the heavy lift in keeping that fire under control and and uh, getting it under control. So another uh, great example of, of how that wildland fire fighting protection benefits uh, even folks that live outside of the assessed areas, because I don't believe that that Mountain Gate Hill is actually within um, the forest land assessment area for uh, ODF. So. Uh, similar to that uh, Furbute, uh, Lane Furbute Road fire that was uh, out near the airport that was outside the assessment area that also got ODF helicopter support. So uh, fire is always a big issue this, this late part of the summer out here in the Pacific Northwest. It's actually been a fairly tame fire season for most of the Pacific Northwest. I know that's not true throughout most of the country. California's had its problems. But uh, you know, if you want to call in and talk about fire, uh, fire prevention strategies, which I just can't say enough about ODS initial attack strategy that I wish that the U.S. Forest Service and BLM would would um, you know take on for the rest of the country, where the whole idea is you get after a fire when it's small, so it doesn't get to be a big fire, uh, and it's a whole lot cheaper to put out. Uh, it's easier easier to expend that early initial attack um, cost than it is to expend a, an extended, uh, you know, 30, 60-day fire campaign waiting for the rain to start on a large fire. So we can talk fires, and, and talking fires brings up probably some news that maybe some folks haven't heard because uh, it's just coming out in the papers and the media right now, and that's uh, the Lynn County uh, had a lawsuit against the state of Oregon here, and that's Lynn, L-I-N-N, -N, not Lane, L-A-N-E, um, filed a, a, a class action lawsuit against the state about breach of contract on the forest trust lands that the counties and other uh, public agencies from school districts to um, some special districts that turned forest land over to the state to manage specifically to generate income for those agencies. And the state unilaterally made a change in its policies about 10 years ago that stopped emphasizing uh, providing revenue and sustained timber harvest over some other, quote, values. And uh, that's what the lawsuit was all about. And Judge Murphy, who's hearing the suit, um, came out with a bunch of rulings on some initial motions uh, either late yesterday or early this morning. And in general, he basically ruled on Lynn County's side. He basically denied the state's motion to dismiss for lack of jurisdiction, to dismiss based on, uh, you know, uh, some statutory, unilateral statutory contract issues versus a two-sided contract. Um, which is relative to some case law. Uh, he denied, um, you know, a whole bunch of state motions to try and strike portions of the arguments against the state. Uh, 
And he also, at the same time, spent time agreeing with Lynn County's uh, assertion that this should be a class action suit, uh, which is pretty substantial because um, getting it to be a class action suit um, will be very powerful against uh, against the state because it basically it says Lane County's uh, going to be defending the rights of 145 other jurisdictions, which this includes. Um, so, you know, all the timber counties plus all these various municipalities and school districts and special districts that turned over trust lands to the state. Um, they have a common, you know, the, the, the judge kind of ruled that they have a common interest um, and, and basically said everything's there to certify a class action suit. They didn't actually certify it this time because he wants to complete um, the the um, various declaratory judgments that still have yet to be ruled on, um, summary judgments, uh, prior to certifying the class so that, you know, folks that are in the class won't be subjected to a whole bunch of unnecessary um, depositions from the state and just trying to get, you know, to extend resources uh, of the various people included in the class, which I think is a really good move by the judge. So basically the news of the day is uh, Lynn County won state zero in the, in the lawsuit against the state. Now, mind you, this is a kind of large lawsuit. I think the initial uh, dollar value placed on the damages claimed was $1.4 billion or, or somewhere close to that. Um, yeah, $1.4 billion. So it, it, it's pretty big news, and this is on top of the fact that the state admitted today that they're going to be $1.2 million short on the Oregon Health Plan. So, and that's on top of something we talked about a few weeks ago where they admitted they're another $800,000 short in their PERS um, liability funding. So, not, state Oregon isn't doing too well right now. Kind of makes you wonder why we've continued to have one party rule in Oregon for the last 20 or so years. Uh, might be time for a change and some new uh, new blood at, at the high levels of state government, because it certainly doesn't look like we're going in a very good direction right now. And uh, if you don't think that's true, give me a call. You know, you can just call us anytime here at 646-721-9887 um, and get in on the conversation. We can talk about Lynn County and their lawsuit. We can talk about the one2 billion dollars the state's short on their Oregon health plan, uh, which is the state's rollout really of the uh, Affordable Care Act, better known as Obamacare. And uh, kind of interesting, that's been in the news a little lately too, this whole thing with uh, Trillium, which is the local coordinated care organization, which was created by um, the Affordable, the Oregon rollout of the Affordable Care Act, uh, state law that was initiated by, uh, might even have been Kulangoski and then followed up by uh, Governor Kiptopper that created these coordinated care acts in 16 regions of the state, um, coordinated care organizations that were supposed to manage the uh, 
Medicaid uh, systems for Oregon to administer the, the Affordable Care Act. And the whole idea was to actually do uh, managed health care to try and reduce uh, health care costs by doing more preventative medicine instead of reactive medicine. Um, and, you know, it's a good concept. But these organizations that became the, the coordinated care organizations were basically a product of state law. And Trillium was basically uh, the local version of, of, for Lane County, the Coordinated Care Act. Well, Trillium was privately owned and by a group of stockholders, the shareholders, uh, actually by uh, another, a whole different group. Um, and then that, that private um, company was bought out by another private, private company and in a very um, lucrative exchange, a lot of the shareholders in um, the local entity made some pretty good money on it. And that's been in the news in the Register Guard recently. Um, and it, it kind of is interesting to watch uh, partial news come out of the Register Guard again. They made a big deal out of the fact that at the time this, the Trillium got sold, that they weren't providing enough primary care providers to a lot of their um, the OHP folks in Lane County. What they didn't do was compare that to any other coordinated care organization in the state and what percentage of folks that were enrolled in the OHP system had primary care providers in other coordinated care organizations at that time and what happened is as the Affordable Care Act was rolling out, more and more people were enrolling in um, the Oregon Health Plan through uh, Cover Oregon. Uh, suddenly, these coordinated care folks were given, you know, tens of thousands of more people to provide primary care for. And, of course, it, there was a lag between when the people signed up and when they actually got enough providers to cover them. And it was true for all coordinated care organizations at the time that Trillium was sold, that they all were not providing enough primary care providers because there was a shortage of primary care providers for everyone associated with Cover Oregon and the Oregon Health Plan and all those additional signups at that time. And in fact, Trillium was actually doing pretty well uh, in comparison to some areas of the state and, and particularly some areas of the country in getting primary care providers uh, for those folks. But we can talk about that. Uh, we can talk about fire. We can talk about Lane County's lawsuit, or we can talk about BLM and their resource management plan, or we can talk about uh, FEMA and their new flood insurance uh, program implementation that, that has to recognize some of the uh, biological opinions that came out of the National uh, Marine Fisheries folks. And uh, it's just, you know, bureaucracy one after another, uh, making everything cost more money for you, the uh, citizen of Oregon here in, in Lane County and anywhere else, or even if you're in another state. If you haven't heard about the uh, flood insurance program changes and the biological opinions, because uh, you don't live in the state of Washington or the state of Oregon that's dealing with it first, you will hear about it. Um, it's just 
you know, one of those things where they're using one federal program to try and reach in and um, use biological opinions about various endangered species to say, you, if, if you're going to take, if you're going to have, if your county or state or whatever locality participates in the flood insurance program, you must then abide by these restrictions on development within the floodplain and within so many feet of a floodplain. Um, and it's far-reaching. In fact, in Oregon, what they're asking for is 170 feet no development buffer, basically, from flood floodways. So it's, it's going to be very difficult to develop anywhere near a uh, stream that, that, that's mapped as a floodway in the FEMA flood, flood map, uh, even if you're not technically in the floodplain. You just have to be within that 170 feet. They don't take into account how steep the land is next to it. They just say 170 feet. I have no idea scientifically how they came up with that, why it's not 169 feet or 171 feet. Uh, but that's just one of the things our, our wonderful federal government has come up with and that the courts have, you know, in their wisdom kind of agreed with that, that there's this need to protect certain endangered species and uh, it really has an impact. Unless you're talking about um, doing something that is related to the actual waterway that that you're adjacent to, like a dock for a boat, uh, good luck trying to uh, build a house anywhere along a river uh, within view, of the, within 170 feet of that river, uh, any time in the future, and let alone do any sort of uh, other quote development work. Uh, that might be a septic system, uh, it might be uh, a shed, who knows, a horse barn. It's just going to be a real problem. And where locally you might see that is in the Glenwood uh, redevelopment plans where they were counting on the waterfront with that beautiful Willamette River as being the next uh, river walk uh, style development here in Oregon and drawing, you know, fancy buildings and economic development to uh, that portion of Springfield that's very close to the University of Oregon and other, um, you know, along the mainline uh, MX bus route, you know, it just had all sorts of things going for it, and then this biological opinion gets um, basically rammed down through the court system, and I don't know if the current plans in, under the Glenwood refinement plan for that Willamette River funders are going to be uh, viable anytime in the future. So, you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, Oregon's a unique state in a lot of ways. We were one of the first states to do citizen-driven initiative petitions. And, and that's, you know, something that's been in the news quite a bit. And this whole idea of citizen-led democracy and how, you know, how important that is to Oregon, even though our state legislature, through the use of the emergency clause being attached to a bunch of bills, has been squashing citizens' right to referral, uh, to exercise citizen-led democracy, 
Um, this state is kind of built around the whole idea of if the citizens kind of don't like what their lawmakers are doing, you can kind of either overturn recently passed laws or you can put old laws on the ballot through the initiative process. You can amend the constitutions and county charters through initiative. You know, it's really got this, this thing where, you know, it, citizens are given a lot of control in this state. Unfortunately, 55% of the state owned by the federal government and I don't care what initiatives we pass, we can't control those lands. And, uh, you know, the, the resource management plan that the BLM put out for the ONC lands is just a perfect example of completely ignoring uh, what the local folks want in the way of the counties that actually are part of the ONC lands um, and part and were the ones that gave up those lands to the federal government. and. The federal government was going to manage under the 1937 ONC Act, and the Resource Management Plan completely ignores the ONC Act of 1937. So the counties are going to have to sue the federal government again, like we did before, um, to, to get them to adhere to an act of Congress. But it doesn't matter what the citizens can do, because even in the 45% that the citizens have a little bit more control over because it's either state, private, or locally owned properties. We have all these federal regulations overlaying those lands. You know, all this private land along the waterfront in Glenwood has now suddenly got this 170-foot uh, setback thrown on it by the federal government over a um, you know, supposed need to protect that flood plain area from uh, development because somehow or another, once every 500 years when the water actually inundates that area, uh, that was important to salmon habitat. So I just, you know, that, that concept, um, you know, really is, is pretty, a pretty interesting concept about self-government in Oregon when we have so little we can actually control with our self-government because of the size of our bloated federal bureaucracy and the regulations that they um, do. You know, so, you know, Lane County and, and the ONC counties are suing the Bureau of Land Management. Lynn County in a class action suit is suing the state and it kind of makes you wonder, you know, why are all these taxpayer-funded organizations suing other tax-funded organizations, and, you know, who really wins and all that stuff? Um, it, it, it's not a simple thing, but it's one of those things where um, different levels of government, you know, states and, and the federal levels and the municipal and county levels uh, have interests to protect, and certain self-government and and, and in those interests, sometimes there are contractual relationships between those agencies. And uh, when you get to one agency suing another, uh, usually it's about one agency has enacted something unilaterally and the other agency uh, feels like they breached the contract and it's trying to get that first agency to adhere to the original contract. And it usually, if they can get them to do that, it means either revenue, income, or 
um, more control, local control, um, if the you know one agency wins versus the other. And in, in the in the Lynn County case against the state, if Lynn County wins, it basically says your um, policies that 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 would have restricted um, timber harvest on state forest trust lands that are held on behalf of counties and other agencies uh, by the state to manage are no good and you have to manage them according to the original contract was you've got to manage them for sustainable harvest to supply revenue to those those jurisdictions uh, which means there'll be more harvest on those state-owned properties which will generate more revenue for counties and schools and Therefore, you'll see also more economic activity and jobs driven by that timber going to the mills. Uh, and hopefully, you'll see uh, more local government services out of that versus keeping those lands locked up by an artificial um, policy. Uh, in the ONC case, it's a matter of uh, uh, very similar getting more timber uh, cut on, on the lands that were held in trust by the federal government, not the state government, uh, on behalf of the ONC counties uh, that were supposed to generate revenue uh, was as a primary purpose. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, you know, what what would happen should, should Lane County and Lane County win on their suits? You'll see more, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, once, you know, as you say win, you know, that means win after all of the appeals and it gets up to whatever level of court it finally gets to and there's a court order, uh, hopefully eventually you get to a point where there's more harvest occurring uh, on forest lands, public forest lands in this state, generating more revenue. And you get to see out of that revenue, uh, you know, smaller class sizes in your school, uh, you get to see maybe more patrol officers out in rural areas of Lane County and other counties. You get to see uh, a higher level of service and maybe a little bit uh, less of a handout to uh, citizens through property taxes, uh, like our jail levy uh, we've had to put on uh, in order to keep our, our jail beds open because we're getting enough revenue out of our forest lands um, to support that. Because once upon a time ago, that's how a lot of government was funded in Oregon was through timber harvest receipts. Uh, and those are now virtually gone. And you know, anyone that is concerned about the level of public safety protection or the shortness of our school years and the low graduation rates, uh, a lot of those stand for deterioration of our road system those things used to be funded with timber harvest receipts in a lot of Oregon, and they no longer are. And that's one of our one of the things that we're seeing these lawsuits about. So, lots to talk about. You know, on that that side of the fence, we can get into some of the other other issues. Yeah, we can talk everything from pot taxes that's going to be on the ballot this November to. Uh, you know, the, the past trash issues, you know, had Dan Hurley here on a couple weeks ago talking trash. If anyone's still interested in talking about that, you can just call us at 646-721-9887. 
and just press one and let Robin know you want to get in on the conversation. Or you can email me at talk at krbnradio.net. And, you know, I really would love to hear from some of the folks out there because really I do this show because I want folks to have some availability to information about Lane County, uh, current events, maybe trying to make some sense of why things are happening, uh, get some deeper background. But I also want to answer people's questions uh, and be available to them and provide good information out there. I think that's one of the things uh, we need to do as elected officials is be available to our constituencies. Uh, there's not quite enough of that. You know, if you want to talk national politics a little bit, it's interesting that Hillary has kind of sort of started making herself available to the press a little bit on her jet uh, in the last day or two after basically hiding from the press uh, for over the last several years uh, as much as possible. Um, she, you know, certainly, uh, you know, there's, there's a lack of um, ease of access when it comes to, uh, to, to her and her campaign as far as answering questions. Because I guess it's uh, a lot easier to hide and hope that, you know, the Donald will do something um, that brings attention to him uh, in a negative way. And if you just stay out of the view of the world, you may benefit just from not being in the news. Although, pretty hard to stay out of the news when uh, there's all these emails, dumps being released, et cetera. Um, and it just seems to be getting deeper and deeper, like not understanding a C in front of a paragraph meant that this information is classified when you've been certified as classified for years and years and years, uh, particularly sitting on the, uh, the Senate uh, committees that she sat on, uh, it's pretty hard to believe some of the stuff uh, that comes from out of uh, the, the Clinton campaign at times uh, and, and amazes me that, that uh, had, had this been almost anyone else without the last name of Clinton, they would probably be already be in jail uh, for obstruction of justice at the least, or for uh, misuse of, of classified information uh, and mishandling of classified information. Uh, if you are uh, in the military or serving in one of our uh, uh, agencies uh, like the CIA or the NSA, um, you would be in jail right now if you had done what, what Mrs. Clinton had done with classified information on a private server and handled it in the way she handled it, uh, let alone the destruction of, of email records uh, that was done uh, as she, quote, filtered uh, what was released back to the, to the FBI for their review of the whole issue around classified information. Um, and she, she her, her attorneys determined what was okay and what wasn't, and a lot of stuff got deleted. Um, interesting that uh, some of it was actually recovered and determined to have been germane to the actual investigation the FBI um, was conducting, uh, but they recovered them from various other places. So interesting things going on all over the world. There's lots, lots to talk about. We can go national, we can stay local, but what I like to do is be available to folks um, you know, whether it's, you know, 
online or, or if you want to come in and give public comment at a board meeting or if you want to just talk to me here on this show, uh, you can you can get a hold of me in so many ways. You can even get to our uh, Facebook page for KRBN and and message me through there. So uh, you know if you get to Facebook and do uh, KRBN, uh, you'll find our Facebook page and uh, Bo's Nose shows there, and you can just uh, drop us a message, and I'll get it eventually, and and try and get in touch with you. Uh, I try and follow up on all my my voicemail, phone mail. So, um, you know, it's a it's a a pretty interesting time, and. and Occasionally, I get to listen to the radio when I'm driving to and from places because I spend a good good amount of my time uh, in meetings or you know, talking to constituents on the phone or, or you know, doing all sorts of things. But um, it was driving, I guess, yesterday and listened to a tape recording of Hillary Clinton. You know, she did finally invite the press on the plane yesterday, but she spent most of the time coughing. And then in another appearance, she spent a good part of her time coughing. I mean, the, the, the portion I saw on, on uh, the morning news show that was on uh, on the television my wife likes to watch in the morning kind of just showed her cough a little bit and then, then talk about being allergic to Donald Trump uh, or something. But, uh, you know, you kind of got to wonder, is there something going on with, with with her health? Is that the reason why she hasn't made herself available to the press? Um, you know, what's all this coughing about? Uh, uh, you know, and, and what happens if she, you know, November goes by, she ends up winning the electoral college, is getting ready to to, to sit and and formally elect her because that's actually who elects the president, not not the people. Um, which is a, a, a system I fully support because we are a representative republic, not a direct democracy. Uh, the moment we go with the popular vote only will be the last time any flyover state ever sees a presidential candidate. They'll end up in the in the 10 largest metropolitan areas, and that's it. Um, so uh, it's uh, kind of interesting, you know. She, you know, what happens if, if she, her health fails sometime? before she's sworn in, you know, and constitutionally what happens. And, and you know, it, it, if, if, if my recollection is correct in the Constitution Act, and it's something I do carry around with me, you know, and if anyone ever wants a copy of the Constitution, I, I buy them from the Cato Institute um, in a large enough buy at a time that I get them a buck a piece. Now, actually, if somebody will, wants one from me, I'll give them a copy. Now, you know, now and then, but I, I really enjoy Cato's version of it uh, because they have a really good um, introduction to it, um, kind of preface that talks about um, the doctrine of enumerated rights and a few other things that are really um, a powerful. Enumerated powers. Sorry, I said that backwards. Is a really powerful um, lead into the Constitution, but uh, you know, I, you know, 
I'm not sure what happens between an election. You know, I know that once sworn in, if the president um, is unable to serve, you know, the vice president steps in. But between election and actual swearing in, uh, is the vice president then step up? And, and uh, I, I just, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit hazy on that portion of, of whether the succession um, of power follows uh, it would the vice president-elect become the president, um, you know, at that point. I don't think it's ever happened, and I'm, and I'm really in, in, in at a loss to think about um, what happens in that case. Uh, so interesting to, to to wonder, you know, would would Tim Kaine end up as, as president? Would they have to hold a new election? Would the would would it end up going to the House of Representatives? Uh, like a, a tie in the Electoral College would, um, or a failure to get a, a majority vote in the Electoral College, then, then, then moves on to the House of Representatives to select the president. Um, that would be a fascinating um, constitutional sort of study. Um, and, and maybe it's something I, I, I should find somebody to answer that question on someday in the future. But uh, you know we can we can talk you know presidential politics. Uh, we can get into state politics a little bit. It's interesting that you know our our current uh, unelected governor Kate Brown finally came out and endorsed the three billion dollar sales tax measure. Um, you know it's just really. Um, one of those things that that was kind of interesting was she hemmed and hawed and acted like she wasn't going to support it. Everybody knows that that she supports it. She just wasn't willing to come out and publicly say it because she was kind of concerned about whether it would how it might impact her re-election or or as you'd say election chances because she wasn't elected in the first place. Um, she's our selected governor. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, It'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see how that all turns out. You know, uh, so you know we can talk state politics a little too because uh, she's got an interesting challenge. Uh, you know, I I I didn't take too seriously at first this doctor, uh, this oncologist from Salem. You know, I was thinking, here we are. You know, here's Monica Webby again, uh, another inexperienced medical professional that's jumping into politics and maybe isn't as, as um, seasoned as they should be, jumping at way too high of a level. But you know, I am pretty darn impressed so far. And polling wise, he's polling within the margin of error. You know, which is, you know, extremely re respectable. Um, you know, I don't know how Bud Pierce, um, you know, he, he, he's been really savvy um, you know, in just how he, he's approached this. Um, he hasn't quite uh, 
you know, gone, uh, you know, made mistakes that, that Monica Webby made. He seems to really have, have, have uh, thought about it. I got to meet him about a week ago uh, for the first time. And what a generally nice man and, um, you know, has such a great history of treating and caring for cancer patients. Uh, so you can't really, uh, you know, challenge his heart at all. Uh, has a wonderful wife. Um, who also has, you know, even a wonderful story herself being from an immigrant family um, and, and then becoming a dentist uh, that has done an amazing amount of charitable work um, providing dentistry to folks that can't afford it. Uh, so it'll be an interesting uh, governor's race here in Oregon, more interesting, I think, than a lot of people thought it was going to be. Uh, so we can we can talk governors, we can talk presidents, we can talk, you know, timber policy, fires, pot taxes, you name it. Just give us a quick call here at the uh, Bo's Nose Show, 646-721-9887. Uh, just press one, and that lets Robin know uh, you want to get in on, on the uh, conversation. And, uh, you know, we can uh, expand whatever topic you want to talk about. We can go back to some other topics we've talked about in past week, like um, we had a, a long talk about about pot a few weeks back uh, with uh, somebody from the Association of Oregon Counties that was a former uh, prosecutor and county counsel about some of the, the, the legal issues and taxation and everything else with recreational pot. We can talk a little bit about um, trash and Lane County's um, issues around trying to keep our, our solid waste management system financially afloat and, and modernized and meeting some of the goals around recycling and diversion of waste. Um, there's all sorts of topics we can go back to from the past, or we can even be looking forward to you know election topics like we talked about. Um, so. Just give us a call here, or you can email us at talk at krbnradio.net. And that you can do even between um, those known shows, because you, know, you might be listening to this uh, on an archive version sometime in the future uh, and wonder, you know, how do I how do I get a hold of this Bozovich guy and ask him a question? Well, you can do it just with that talk at krbnradio.net. Or you can just, you know, if you're stalling to my names right there on the show's, uh, you know, internet page and, and, uh, on, and on, our, on the KRBN uh, Facebook page, uh, you can put that into the search box for Facebook. You can get either my uh, county commissioner Facebook page or you can get my uh, personal Facebook page and send me a message. Um, and... and and send me a message on Facebook, or you can call the Lane County office, or you can email me through my Lane County um, email. But you know, probably the quickest way is just give us a call right here at the show, and we can talk directly with each other. So I'm trying to think of, of uh, what else has been in the news lately that would be interesting for maybe some folks get a little bit more background on. And 
you know, as, as I read the Register Guard pretty religiously, um, and, and the weekly and, and the Fernridge Review and the Saïs Law News, uh, Tri-County Tribune, you know, I, I, one of the things about being elected officials, you kind of got to, you know, be up on what's happening in your community in all sorts of places. Um, you know, it, it leads you to some, some interesting things, you know, and one of the things that, that come up a couple times recently, and, and even Register Guard had an editorial about, you know, folks' driving habits. And, you know, the Register Guard editorial was all about distracted driving. Uh, we've talked about it a little here about, you know, the safety on 126, talked about transportation issues um, quite a bit um, about a month and a half ago uh, when the, uh, uh, the legislative committee from the state was going around doing their tour about transportation. One of the issues we have in the state is just such a lack of enforcement on our roads where we've gone from 600 troopers across the state to 300 and Lane County used to have 99 folks in our patrol division and we're down to 21 um, patrolling our streets. Pretty much people get away with murder. In fact, you know, one of the things that's interesting, and this kind of ties back into the beginning of the show, I know you guys are wondering where I was going, is, you know, we're talking about fire. And, you know, we've had three fires here in Lane County in the last two weeks. And all of them have been man-made fires. None of them have been naturally caused. They don't know the exact reason, the exact cause of the high pass fire or the mountain gate fire right now. They know the cause of the Fairview Fir Road fire. All of them were man, man activities. Uh, in the case of the Fairview Road fire, it was somebody using a cutting torch um, on a piece of farm equipment uh, doing repairs uh, in the middle of the afternoon on a hot, dry day. Uh, <laughs> You know, my my producer Robin brought something up to me last week uh, when we were talking to Link Smith off air about the fact that she has watched people as she's driving behind them throw lit cigarettes out of their cars when we were in those red flag warning days. In fact, she just saw it again today. And apparently she has a dash cam. So, Robin, are you going to use that dash cam maybe to start doing the uh, turning people into the uh, fire marshal or something like that to get a ticket for uh, throwing uh, lit material out of the car? That's a really expensive ticket. Yeah, it is. And, well, since there's no penalties for driving while stupid, uh, that'd probably be the next best thing. <laughs> yeah. I, it just, when you were telling me that story, it's like I, it just amazes me that anyone that, that – was listening to the, you know, you'd have to be so blind to the news that, that how dry and dangerous it was. You know, it's kind of like whoever was out there repairing that piece of farm machinery. Um, how could you think to use an open flame in the middle of a dry field? Um, Top that off with one first thing they teach you in any course on welding is you always keep an extinguisher or water or something uh, available just in case, you know, you do get uh, fire or sparks or something like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's just, you know, and it's, it's throwing the cigarettes out just is, is beyond me. I mean, it's beyond me that somebody wants to text while they're driving um, and and do some of the silly things that they do while driving. I, I, I've seen it all. I, I, I'm, I'm from the Washington, D.C. area, and I used to commute on the Capitol Beltway, which, you know, four lanes each direction. So you get to see into a lot of different cars as you're, as you're driving along. And, and uh, I've seen everything from makeup being put on to people eating with both hands, you know, holding a sub sandwich with two hands. I don't know what the, how they're holding the wheel with their knee or something. <laughs> Well, certainly it's just not just uh, while driving. We've had, uh, I think it was five years back, maybe a little bit further back here in Thurston, um, this girl was walking home from school. It was dark, wearing dark clothes. Um, she had the music blaring in her ear, so she had earbuds in and playing with her cell phone and walked right out in the, in the traffic and got hit and killed. Yeah, that's just, I feel sorry for the person um behind the wheel on that one. And, you know, and that's just, it used to amaze me. Uh, I'm also a pretty avid cyclist, and at one point used to commute to work on a bicycle every day on the river bike path system when I lived in town here in, in Eugene and Springfield. And it would amaze me the people that would um, walk and cycle with earbuds in and, and you come up behind them, you know, ringing a bell, whistling, trying to say on your left and all that so that they would know you're going to come up and pass them, being doing the polite thing. And you get right up beside them, and then you would get startled. And, of course, the first thing they do is turn their head in your direction. And if they're on a bike, that means they swerve in your direction. Or even if they're walking, they almost do the same thing. They start moving in the direction they turn their head. And it just... It would, I don't know how many times I almost hit people, um, try, even trying to be careful, knowing that they were, you know, I could see see the earbuds or the ear, you know, the, the earphones from a distance. But it's just like women doing that on a bike path, you know. And I, a lot of the community I did is in semi darkness in the winter time, you know, early hours and late evening, you know, evening hours, you know. Being that blind at who's behind you because you can't hear um, is just such an invitation to uh, to assault. Uh, it amazes me. Um, so you know, yeah, walking while stupid, riding a bike while stupid, driving while stupid. Unfortunately, there's no uh, statute against that. <laughs> yeah, and you can't make it stupid. And and to throw one more on top of that is, I don't know what they're teaching nowadays. But when I grew up, uh, when I was a kid. Uh, they taught you to look before entering the street, mm-hmm. you know, walking, riding a bike or whatever, and it seems like that's something that people don't do either. Yeah. Yeah, this whole idea of uh, I've got the right-of-way as pedestrian, so you're going to have to stop, that works really well except for the laws of physics sometimes. If you step out in front of a car and they don't have enough you know, their, their momentum enough that you can't apply enough braking force to stop in time before they hit you, it's gonna, not going to matter whether you have the right of way. Exactly. <laughs> Which is you know, kind of like, I, I, you know, I've watched sailboats cut across powerboats, um, you know, from their bow, you know, just, just because supposedly they have the right of way. It's like, it's not going to matter much, if, you know, 
boats don't stop on a dime. You know, it, 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 even if you, you throw the the engine in the neutral and, and uh, turn away, you're still coasting. You know. Yeah, physics again. Yeah, physics again. And, you know, you may be in the right away, but it's not going to change the fact that you're. You know, you may end up dead. Speaking of crossing the street, uh, if you don't mind if I throw out a pet peeve real quick. Oh, go ahead. Um, we're getting close to the end of the show, so we're, we're about pet peeve time. <laughs> Um, on Main Street in Springfield, they uh, they recently reduced the uh, speed limit from 45 to 35, and mm-hmm. with claims that there's uh, been 10 deaths in the last 10 years, which is great. I mean, it's 10 too many, but still, that's quite a small number. And they are looking at uh, creating safety zones and doing some other changes. Well, one of my pet peeves in addition to people not looking both ways before crossing the street, is they put up these, push a button, the flashing yellow lights go on the crosswalks in the middle of the um, street, in between the blocks, and they don't wait for traffic to stop, and they start walking out. Um, I don't like those flashing yellow lights. I prefer the ones like they have on Harlow, where it's like a stop stop light. It, It turns yellow. And then it turns solid red and gives enough time for the person to walk the street. Then it goes flashing red, which flashing red means stop, like a stop sign. Mm-hmm. But the point is it gives it gives the drivers a chance to slow down instead of all of a sudden, boom, here's these lights. People are slamming the brakes or are ignoring them or doing whatever. And uh, I think yeah, people don't know how to react to those, those um, you know, that, 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 that particular kind of, Pedestrian warning. They've got the same similar things in Florence right. on the crossings across 101. And, and when those things go off, you know you'll see people run right through them. You know they've got them on River Road too. Um, that rectangular flashing beacon, a rapid flashing beacon, or something they call. I, I forgot what they what the what the um, acronym is for those. But they they just they just tend to confuse it the heck out of drivers. Oh, yeah. It's not a standard traffic signal. It's just these flashing lights come on, and it's like, okay, you know. Yeah, it's a crosswalk, though, so you are required to stop for folks in it, but, you know, there's some reasonable, you know, when those lights come on, um, do you slam on your brakes, or do you, are you, is it like a yellow where you're, you you know, there's, there's a, you realize that you're just, you know, your reaction time and braking time is not enough to get stopped, so you just drift through. Exactly. Yeah. That That's kind of my point, is that if they, and it'd be really easy for them with LED technology now just to make it, okay, you got the yellow, which means that it's going to turn, start mm-hmm. going down, do whatever, then turn red, and then once it turns red, then have the crosswalk give the okay to cross signal. But I've seen people, like I say, they walk up to it, punch the button, lights go off, they start walking across the street expecting cars to, you know, like in cartoons, just, and they're stopped. Yeah, uh, and the one that really gets you, I don't know if you've been to, uh, down Franklin Boulevard before it becomes um, 6th and 7th Street there, where it's kind of making, just before it makes the curves, there's that new um, student housing complex on the south side, or north side of Franklin, of course, campus is on the south side, and they put one of those crosswalks there, you know, with a center island protection and all that stuff and the flashing beacons. Right. 
where there's so much pedestrian traffic going back and forth that the, the flashers come on, people stop, just about time to get ready to go, another pedestrian starts crossing, presses the button again, and you can sit there for 10 minutes with the continually flashing lights because just about time you're ready to start up, somebody else comes along and wants to cross one way or the other. And it's kind of like, it, at some point, traffic's got to go. And I've seen it actually back up and, and cause problems with the traffic lights that are just on either side of that, that mid-block crossing. Um, it, it, I don't know who thought that one up. Um, and, and I've seen also not just people crossing, but I've actually seen just, you know, it's college students, so that as they're walking along the roadway, they'll punch the button and just keep walking along the road, not even wanting to cross, just because I think they think it's funny to stop traffic with a flashing light. Oh, yeah. Oh, here's, here's one in poor design. A roundabout um, at Harlow and Piner Parkway, you know, so you have four-lane roads or two-lane roads going in, you know, which is congestive enough and accident-causing. Then at the last minute, they go, uh, we need um, pedestrian crossings, too, so they're throwing those flashing yellow things. So now you're trying to watch, pay attention to all this traffic, you know, two lanes of traffic going into the roundabout, and all of a sudden, Right, right behind this bush is a is a crosswalk with a flashing light on it. <laughs> yeah, I know right where you're talking about. Yeah, uh, I I sometimes wonder uh, what traffic engineers are thinking at times um, with with those crosswalks. It's uh, it's pretty amazing. Uh, yeah, it's it's even amazing how we we we've decided some of the finding in. in some of our traffic stuff, like I think you mentioned to me, there's actually a bigger fine for littering, um, throwing litter from a car than there is for throwing a lit um, object from a car, like a cigarette. Well, I, yeah, it's kind of kind of weird. Um, yeah, make sure it's burning. The fine is cheaper. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, it seems like that, that that's something that might be needed to be changed in state law. Kind of make you know, the person that might be responsible for setting a forest fire um, probably should pay a bigger fine. So, well, it's been a an interesting uh, free for all day. Wish we had gotten some more people in here to get in on the free for all. Um, well, we covered a lot of topics today, everything from uh, fire and 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 uh, lawsuits about forest management to uh, presidential politics and government, gubernatorial gover politics. Uh, you know, got got back into the traffic stuff, which led us to this uh, throwing throwing cigarettes out of cars and texting and all sorts of stuff and pet peeves. But you know, I want to hear about your pet peeve or question about government in Lane County, or just any sort of political issue or question you might have. Um, I may not know about it, but I'll I'll talk about it. So, give us a call here next week on the Bo's Nose Show, and uh, we'll try and answer your questions. And uh, we'll talk to you next Wednesday at four o'clock. This has been the Bose Nose Show. Thank you for listening.